One more victory and we bring home the Puggy Weaver Cup. The Puggy <laughs> Weaver! Wait, wait, wait. Who's Puggy Weaver? <laughs> Only the most honored bowler in the history of Jim's Bowlerama. He's dead now, but he symbolized the Olympian ideal of pure competition. How'd he die? He choked to death trying to swallow eight waffles. <laughs> we tried to stop him at seven, but he was going for the record. What an athlete! <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast down here in Australia. Oh, wow. End of season nine for Australians' contributions. Blimey, will I be? So, today, us Australians are reviewing season nine, episode 25, Shoeless Owl. Originally aired on the 14th of May, 1995. My name is Matt, and I just came back from knocking over a six, seven, ten split at my local bowling alley. Now, I heard there was a uh, chick called Annabelle at the bowling alley. Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. My TV was talking. <laughs> uh, hi, this is Luigi, Team Australia's token American. To all the other podcasts out there, I just want to say that we're going to bury you. And then we're going to steal your watch. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit scared. I mean, when the borders reopen here, I'm not sure if we'll let you in now, Luigi. I'm a little bit worried. <laughs> yeah, so thanks again for having me. You know, I feel like I've crashed your podcast a lot this season. I, I really appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. Uh, us Australians, uh, we, we welcome anyone to jo join us here in, the, in our nudie bar down here in sunny Australia. Well, actually, uh, it's very, very rainy in my part of Australia at the moment, here in our winter of June 2021. Yeah. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Vincent T., our Australian fan. So I'll wave to you as I'm flying back uh, from Sydney uh, back to the U.S. <laughs> awesome. Obligatory IMDb summary. An insurance agent is assigned to make sure Al is afraid to wear shoes to collaborate his lawsuit against the mall that claims he's afraid of shoes after being tied up by a burglar while at work. But Al must decide between the money from the settlement or winning a bowling championship when he's not allowed to bowl barefoot. Wow, for once IMDb actually summed the episode pretty well. Wow. Did Anonymous take the day off? I know, hey! <laughs> <laughs> must have been on vacation or something. Yeah, Anonymous must have been on holiday. Why is Al bound and gagged? Were you robbed? No, Kathy Ireland came in here and me up. We had wild sex all night. Don't miss a brand new Married with Children tonight. Today's guest cast includes Charlie Dell as Leslie Baum, Andrew Kabovot, Kabovot as Mark Campbell, Mary Pat Green as Mary Pat, Michael Rothar, or Rothar, I think it's a Dutch name, 
Uh, any of my friends of Dutch ancestry listen to this, please correct me. As Milt. Susan Veron as Brenda. Mike Finnan as Marv. And today's episode was written by Ron Levitt, or Bootsy. I'm assuming his bowling nickname, or just a nickname of his. Not sure. And directed by, of course, Amanda Chicken Legs Bess. So I have a question. So what is it with this Bootsy? I mean, do you guys know anything more about that? Like, like why specifically they use that name? Not sure myself. Uh, Anna? No, I don't know. Um, uh, it's linked to J. Stanford Parker, whether or not that is a real person in, in himself. But a lot of credits for Bootsy, if you look up IMGB. But, and there's some trivia that says Bootsy got his name as a baby when his older brother, for no apparent reason, said Bootsy's home when he was first brought home from the hospital. And the name stuck for the rest of his life. All right. Now I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. It's not even verified. Who knows? But <laughs> well, actually, I've got a correction here. IMDb was actually helpful again. So Bootsy is not Ron Levitt. Bootsy is J. Stanford Parker, who wrote this ep- who wrote, wrote this episode. Just credited as Bootsy, and Bootsy also contributed the story to Build a Better Mousetrap from 1988, way back in Season 2. Interesting. And we have, I think, that Danabelle, if I'm not mistaken, this is the last of the baseball references titles, right? Yes. I don't think Season 10 or 11 have any. So, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and I know we've covered this before about um, the whole Shoeless Joe Jackson story. Yeah, because we've had at least four or five titles that refer to it. I mean, if you remember uh, back in, uh, what was it, season five, uh, mm-hmm. the episode where, um, uh, what was what was the name of that? Where we had like the whole parody of the Shoeless Joe story? The, the Unnatural. The Unnatural, there we go. Uh, so this is actually, you know, the, uh, a reference to, direct reference to Shoeless Joe, but um, <laughs> it just so happens that Al is Shoeless for this. <laughs> no other, no other uh, parody to Sheila's Joe at all. All right. Yeah, it feels like a title that would have been inevitable because it's Shoeless. They would have worked that in somehow. So, Shoeless Joe Jackson, who our title comes from, he lived between July the 16th, 1887, and passed away December the 5th, 1951, and his real name was Joseph Jefferson Jackson. Triple J. Well, well radio session here. Triple J in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so he was an American outfielder who played Major League Baseball, or MLB, in the early 1900s. Remembered for his performance on the field and for his association with the Black Sox scandal, in which members of the 1919 Chicago White Sox participated in a conspiracy to rig the World Series. As a result of Jackson's association with the scandal, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, Major League Baseball's first commissioner, banned Jackson from playing after the 1920 season by his exceptional play in the 1919 World Series, in which he led both teams in several statistical categories and set a World Series record with 12 base hits. Since then, Jackson's guilt has been fiercely debated with new accounts claiming his innocence and urging Major League Baseball to reconsider his banishment. As a result of the scandal, Jackson's career was abruptly halted in his prime, ensuring him a place in baseball lore, and he's been covered previously on Mar- Married with Children um, um, prior to this episode. Yeah, there's, uh, if you guys uh, get any PBS programming <laughs> that gets shipped to Australia, there's a great series by Ken Burns called Baseball. 
Uh, it was done in the, around, I'm going to say 1994 or so, and uh, they, I had almost an entire episode devoted to this. It's a great story, and one of the reasons why, like, you know, you've had a uh, couple of movies made of this, Eight Men Out, for example, uh, books. It's like, uh, I had a British professor in college who said that Americans have a tendency of historicizing baseball. <laughs> And uh, you know, even though like I'm not a big sports fan, like I do appreciate the game, so you should check that out uh, for any of our fans out there. We're interested. Thanks for the recommendation, the recommendation, Luigi, especially to those who aren't too familiar with baseball. The close, I mean, baseball is somewhat um, prominent here, especially at a lo- local level here in, in Australia. And uh, when I was in primary school, we played softball. So I've got fond memories of playing that when I was about 10, 11, 12. Yeah, I played softball as well. But um, yeah, baseball, I mean, it's everything's overshadowed by cricket here. Okay, interesting. Yeah. You know, in New York City, the variant of baseball that we played is stickball. So you pretty much go out with a broomstick and you play with a spalding ball, you know, effectively a small rubber ball, not a baseball, and you just play the same game, you know, and you would do that on the uh, in, a, in a playground or even sometimes on the street, and you would use fire hydrants as bases. All right. Uh, st- st- still something that was prominent, you know, in the 1980s, uh, although I don't really see kids doing that anymore. I think like soccer or football, as it's called uh, around most of the world, has started to take over with the younger generations. You reminded me, you just reminded me of the Simpsons. I think it's the flashback to when Lisa was born and it's the early 80s and then some kids on the street. It's like, hey, you guys want to play stickball? And they're like, certainly. And they go off and run, and they're playing stickball on a video arcade game. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, that's another thing. I mean, obviously, video games and electronic entertainment's a lot more prominent now, so that'd be another reason for stickball's decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today's adventure begins in um, a very familiar location in the Bundy house, the living room. Uh, Peg and Kel are watching, not home shopping, but home swapping. For live from the Cayman Islands. And now, live from the Cayman Islands, the Home Swapping Network, where you can swap that old crap you bought from some other shopping network for some entirely new crap from us. (laughs) And they say there's nothing good on TV. (laughs) Hi, guys. You want to catch a Woody Allen movie with me? Hmm, I don't know. Woody Allen's never really done it for me. But then again, I'm not a stepdaughter, so... So I'm curious, why, why the reference to the Cayman Islands on that one? I mean, usually, like, we, we associate that as, like, a tax dodge place. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to figure out, like, why would you want to... Why would, why would a home swapping network be set up in the Cayman Islands? Well, probably for the tax evasion reasons and also... Um, well, again, because tax evasion would mean, you know, evading tax to run, run the show or maybe they're on the land from somewhere else. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the Cayman Islands, obviously, a self-governing British overseas territory in the Western Caribbean. Yes, um, home swapping, yeah. When you swap the junk that you buy home shopping, hmm. <laughs> they probably could work, um, but, um, oh, that'd be a messy show. Are they, there's such a thing as home exchange. Are they just playing on the words house swapping, like home swapping, like a literal home swap? And here they're just making it something that rhymes with shopping instead of swapping. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they say it's like where you can swap the old crap you bought from some other shopping network for some entirely new crap from us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if it's a double pun or not. Yeah, and I'm also wondering, you know, back in 1995, if that was, if it was considered a tax dodge at that point in time. You know, I've never been to the Cayman Islands. I know my parents have been, 
supposedly it's very pretty, but uh, from what I understand, it became like this big tax haven. So it's like a lot of businesses have moved in to have a a place where they can uh, establish like a, a residence so that they could then sort of move their money around so they're not paying as much in taxes. But I believe there was just a law, you know, well, there was an agreement passed, I think, at the G7 summit recently where it says that uh, all of those uh, tax haven status places are going to go away because it's supposed to be like a minimum tax across all countries that they've agreed to. Okay, so I, I looked it up and... Uh... The Cayman Islands have never levied an income tax, a capital gains tax, or any sort of wealth tax. So the main source of revenue would come from uh, a duty levied against most imported goods, around 25%, and some some items have a lower duty. So that sounds like a value-added tax. Right. So uh, and and it seems it's had a lot this status as a tax haven for a very long time. So it's been known for that for quite a what a while. And uh, yeah, so it, it, for ever since the fifties when tourism started to take off. So there's a little history lesson on the Cayman Islands. Can't say I've ever been there. Have ever review? Nope. Nope. Maybe one day I'll make it over there. But um, it's not high on my list of places to go when um, borders reopen. Would they would they play Woody Allen movies over there? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about it. It's that stepdaughter of his though. Um, Marcy tries to offer them a Woody to go see a Woody Allen film, but of course, then Kel makes a nice crack against his stepdaughter. Yeah, I, I remember uh, there was that um, there was that joke that Bud made. I think when he when he started his fraternity. <laughs> That's it. That's what I'm gonna do. What? Get a picture of Mr. Darcy, paste it to your face, and wear it to school. (laughs) No human hand wash. I'm going to start me a fraternity. And not just any fraternity. The coolest fraternity any community college has ever seen. We'll have so many college girls, Woody Allen will be knocking down our door. Oh, yeah, so many college girls, um, Woody Allen's going to be knocking down their door. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> College babes. Oh, dearie me. Uh, so Peg makes another stab against No Ma'am. Uh, well, we've already had the Flab 4, but now that it's Fat Pack. <laughs> oh, you know, besides, Al Jefferson and the rest of the Fat Pack will be home soon from losing their bowling semifinals. Yeah, I wonder if they let Bud play this year. Why wouldn't they? Well, he's an alternate. Yeah, and he stinks. <laughs> well, that's not fair. He sucks. So the Fat Pack is a reference to the Rat Pack. Of course. So the Rat Pack were a group of very famous singers. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Joey Bishop, and before a fallout with Frank Sinatra in 1962, Peter Lawford. Uh, they made the original Ocean's Eleven film, as I recall. I think that's about 1960. Uh, and they were pretty much a group of guys who would uh, prowl Las Vegas, you know, for uh, alcohol and women, and they had a good time <laughs> doing that, from what I understand. Oh, I'm sure they would have made have some great times behind the scenes. Um, that that Rat Pack, yes. Um, and then later on, there was the Brat Pack, which are another, well, actors, I mean, that included Will Ferrell, and were nowhere near the same caliber as the Rat Pack. The Brat Pack was more my speed, because, you know, Rob Lowe is just so dreamy. I think it was fr- Frat Pack, but um, yeah, um, y- you all know what I mean. Um, so nowhere near the same c- category as the um, Rat 
Frat Pack, no way. Yeah, the Frat Pack. Yeah, so my apologies. Yeah, Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Owen Wilson, th- those guys. So what about the Fat Pack here? We've got Al Griff, Jefferson, and Bob Rooney. I guess I guess um, Ike wasn't a, a full-fledged, or wasn't around much as a character yet to be included with these guys, because I, I found myself wondering where he was. Well, it was, it was already Sar- Sergeant of Arms very much by this point, but uh, yeah. 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 I, well, you, you know, there's the episode that uh, I reviewed with um, Chris and Mike, the last Amber episode, that was episode 23 a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, what I noted on that episode was interesting. Griff appeared on screen, but had no dialogue. Mm. So I, I'm wondering if like once they, once they had the script, it was like having like another nomammer on there, like probably... You know, he wouldn't be able to do anything other than maybe physically be there. So maybe they just thought it was easier to not have him on screen. Yeah. Yeah, save a bit of money. Yeah. Peggy thinks the Fat Pack are going to lose the bowling bowling tournaments. They they think they're going to lose, but they won, and they're very triumphant. And and they've got a they've got a boombox playing an amazing Queen song. They're the champions. Well, here they come. Now, if you listen very carefully, you can actually hear the footfalls of failure. Al, you won? We are festooned and beribboned, are we not? Yeah, I, w- I want to talk about the music um, either here or probably later when we hear We Will Rock You. I might save it for then. Now, there's one uh, piece I want to talk about, too, uh, before we move on, and that has to do with Bud. So, you know, they talk about how Bud is an alternate and that he stinks. But, you know, if we go way back to when the uh, Bundys were bowling against the, the uh, hated Stokes family, as I recall, right? Uh, get that name right, Annabelle? Uh, uh, Stokes, yeah. Stoats. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, Bud was somewhat of a decent bowler at that point in time. So yes. you know, I'm just interested on in the continuity. Is it that because Bud hasn't played? Is it that Bud hasn't bowled since then? Or, you know, has uh, maybe he needed Steve to, uh, you know, prop him up again? Yeah, well, that's what I tell myself. You know, it's been, you know, seven years at least since um, Steve has been teaching him and, you know, um, hormones kicked in and girls took over and he's and it's a bit like Kelly with her brain he learned something new and and the bowling stuff fell out maybe um that's what I tell myself anyway he just didn't care enough to keep keep it up so to speak so yeah he's completely forgotten how to bowl oh poor budge as they say if you don't use it you lose it <laughs> yeah Peg has said that to Al a few times <laughs> <laughs> Al doesn't care she's already got it <laughs> 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 oh dearie me uh, yeah so they beat they beat the best of breed from Terry's vet this is I'd say to me like the, the best joke of the whole of this whole episode is right there oh yeah I think it starts with last year's winners got shots obviously not COVID <laughs> shots so we don't know what to know what we don't want to know what sort of shots they got <laughs> I think it was probably rabies shots if it was a veterinary veterinarian clinic right yeah, yeah. Likely. Likely, yeah. But last year's losers, uh, oh. Best of breed? Well, Teddy's veterinary clinic donated them. 
Last year's winners got shots. Last year's losers got neutered. I thought you guys were last year's losers. <laughs> they got neutered. I like I like that shot of the three of them just with their heads bowed down. <laughs> <laughs> because uh. <laughs> Peggy reminds them that they were losers. I mean, but that I mean that to me is like brilliant writing and brilliant acting right there. I mean, that that's I, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's at this point the show is just completely farcical. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, a joke like that, it's like, okay, you know, yeah, that's a laugh out loud quality is right there. It's like awesome. Indeed, yes. <laughs> they realize our last year's losers. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, speaking of jokes, we've got a r- rather well-established running joke of Bud falling down the basement stairs. This time it's Bud with all their bowling balls. <laughs> third step? I mean, they didn't mention the third step, though. No, they weren't sp- specific. No, but I think serious users of the show would know what step he missed. No, no, you guys just relax, relax. I got it. No, let me help you there, son. <laughs> Put him down there anywhere. That's the best damn alternate in the league. But after Bud um, had this little dilemma on the stairs, we realize um, that there's, a, there's one more bowling game at stake. This is for the Puggy Weaver Cup. Uh, now, season four, ring a bell, anyone? Yes, yeah, a, a nice piece of continuity here. Right, Luigi? Oh, you know, Puggy Weaver is probably my favorite, favorite of all time minor character that's been mentioned at Married <laughs> with Children. A, a true one-hit wonder. Yeah, so I think uh, it's time for us to talk about him. Who's Puggy Weaver? <laughs> As we all know, my good friend Puggy Weaver is leaving the neighborhood. So this is my last chance to break his alley record in front of his sweaty, pork-like little face. <laughs> I've been training for weeks, avoiding anything that would hurt me. Red meat, red wine. Redheads. So let's start out. So the the word puggy means a pug face, and a pug face is short for a pugilist faced. So in other words, a boxer's face, and it's characterized by a flattened nose. So if you go back, and if you actually look at our title card this week, you're going to see a little tribute to Puggy. And he was played by Michael McManus. And... I remember in the early 2000s seeing a commercial and he was on it. So the actor uh, was on it. So, you know, one of my complaints on this episode is that we should have had an image of Puggy out there, even if it was just a memorial, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And actually, you know, in, in researching Puggy Weaver, I found that there was a woman who recently passed away by the name of Evelyn Weaver, whose nickname was Puggy. And she died on November 26, 2020. So uh, rest in peace to the female Puggy. Hi, I'm Al Bundy at Jim's Bolorama. Feeling good, feeling spry. What have we here? A plaque which denotes the highest game in Bolorama history. A plaque which will soon read Al Bundy. Yep, Al Bundy, Al Bundy. Brave, courageous, and bold. Long live his fame and long live his glory. Long may his story be told. <laughs> now, in researching a little bit more about Puggy, you know, our Puggy, that is, back in season four, I think that, you know, the the old podcast team, Alex, Dan, and Jamie at that point, you know, they were trying to figure out what date was the date of the Bolorama record. And it really wasn't clear in the screen, but I was able to find the actual prop 
you could find on the internet. So I don't know, Annabelle, if you see that. Um, yes. Yep. So it says that the Bolorama record that Puggy Weaver made was on April 26, 1965. So based on that math, Al would have been a sophomore in high school. And, you know, we're going to assume that Puggy is about the same age. Yep. You know, because I think at the time we thought that it was 1985, because, again, it wasn't clear on camera. Mm. So this is a very long-standing record, even for Puggy, because that would have been, uh, season four would have been 1991, I'm going to say. 1990, yep. 1991. 1990. Yeah, 1990, because season four. So, so we're talking uh, 25 years that that record had stood. Yeah, so I found that very, very interesting. Now, from my perspective, I think we could, you know, if Puggy Weaver could have been an opera character, I feel like somebody like Giuseppe Verdi could have written an opera around the character of Puggy. I mean, I could see him singing something like Nessun Dorma, like Pavarotti did back in the 90s at the World Cup Finals. <laughs> because the one thing that Puggy is, is a champion. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look, you know, he held that Bolorama record for more than 25 years. And, you know, he tried to uh, swallow the eight waffles, right? <laughs> and wouldn't <laughs> stop until he, he got the gold, right? Yep. <laughs> now, uh, interestingly, so I sent you guys a link yesterday. There was a, a gentleman by the name of Lee Sanderland who lost a, uh, a fantasy football game. So he had to sit in a waffle house. <laughs> where he consumed nine waffles over the course of a day. <laughs> yes. So I, I find that to be very interesting. Now, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Atlanta, Georgia on business, and I actually ate at a Waffle House for the first time ever. The waffle was pretty good. Yep. I'd say a little greasy, so I can understand how, uh, you know, maybe consuming nine waffles, the, the guy had uh, a little bit of a stomach ache. Yeah. Uh, but that occurred on uh, June 17th of 2021. So you guys might want to check that out on the internet. But, you know, I have some continuity problems with this. I mean, I think it's great that Puggy was mentioned, but, you know, I think we got to dive into this. So I know you guys can help me out with this. So the first question I have for you, Annabelle and Matt, is why is Al friends with this guy? I mean, back in season four, you know, Al says, you know, as we all know, my good friend Puggy Weaver is leaving the neighborhood, right? So first of all, you know, he's supposed to have left the neighborhood, so he wasn't supposed to be around anymore. And number two, he really, he says he calls him a friend, but I think it's with sarcasm because he seemed more like a rival to Al than being somebody that Al admired. Something dying here? <laughs> oh, Bundy, Puggy. I didn't recognize you with your fist out of your nose. <laughs> so I understand you're leaving town. I guess you'll be packing up the wife, kids, and the 300-pound hooker you visit every Friday after work. <laughs> so I just stopped by to give you a little going-away present. Al the King Bundy will now do to your record what time has done to your face. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's sarcastic. You know, my good friend, you know, this, this guy that I keep seeing at bowling tournaments. Yeah. I mean, and like when he sees Puggy for the first time in season four, what does he say? It's like, you know, it's like, I didn't recognize you with your fist out of your nose. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand you live in town. I guess you'll be packing up the wife, kids, and the 300-pound hooker you visit every Friday after work. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so I mean, like, you know, this isn't a friend, but this is, like I said, a rival. And this is an operatic character to me, you know. I mean, like, you know, Al has builds him up. The way he talks about him, he builds him up to be something almost, you know, more than human. Yeah, agreed. So um, for people of my generation, you could say Puggy Weaver is Al Buddy, Bundy like Gary Oak is to Ash Ketchum on the Pokemon show because they were rivals and uh, Ash would always um, run after Gary and be envious of him and want to be, be better than him. So it reminds me of that's the first thing that came to mind, even though it was after Married of Children ended. Huh. Well, now, I'm not surprised you showed up late. I'm surprised you showed up at all. Hey! I've got a Pokemon and you don't. You got your first Pokemon? That's right, loser, and it's right inside this Pokeball. So long, losers! <laughs> oh, now no, everyone will be able to see the top Pokemon trainer in action! This should do the trick! So, Ash, I guess you're happy with how your Krabby's doing here? My Krabby's fine! <laughs> Check out mine! Well, I really hope you win your first battle, Ashy boy. I would feel just terrible if you lost. Yeah, I mean, and do you remember the facial expressions, Annabelle? Like, you know, Puggy, like as he's watching Al, you know, bowl back in season four? Yeah, vaguely. Um, can't say I stutter them too hard, but I do like to look at other people when other people are talking and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did he have this sweaty, pork-like little face? Yeah, but well, I mean, not just that. I mean, just like the look of disgust. Mm. You know, I mean, like you, 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 like when Al like bowls his first strike, you know, I mean, Puggy just sort of taunts him. Stay, you right? Still a long way to 256, Bundy. Not for your wife, Puggy. <laughs> Just Paul Schumeister. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, you get to, you know, Al almost having his own dialogue. Like, Al has, like, his inner dialogue that he actually verbalizes, right? Yep. Frame eight. With grim determination, Bundy picks up his ball. Knowing all he needs is two strikes and eight little pins and a certain pork pie's record is history. <laughs> oh, there is no joy in Pugville. Mighty Bundy shall strike out. Just bowl, Schumeister. <laughs> so that's a reference to a baseball poem called Casey at the Bat. Uh, and actually, I have a book on that, which is interesting, you know, because it's, it's probably uh, the most, uh, uh, if you talk about baseball folklore, it's a great poem, very short poem. Uh, it was made into a Disney film back in the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, like Al, like, again, you know, when I talk about, like, you know, Puggy being an opera character, I mean, like, you could literally write something, you know, about this. It's like sort of the fall of the great Puggy Weaver with his Bolarama record, right? You know, so then we go on, and it's like, you know, Puggy is very smug when there's a 2 4 10 split. Honey? <laughs> A 2-4-10 split. You gotta pick all them up and bowl a strike if you wanna break my record. <laughs> what did you want, Peg? <laughs> well, I just wanted to wish you good luck. Away, woman! 
Now, I remember, if you remember on that podcast episode, Alex is a, is a real good bowler from what I understand, right? So he knows bowling very well. So from what I understand, it's not a very, it's a very difficult, uh, I don't know what do you call it, a play? Like a, or, like a, or, or a ball, like in terms of like trying to like knock down those pins with that kind of a split, right? I guess you call it a play. Al actually defeats Puggy. And when Puggy, you know, when Al gets to 257, you see sort of Puggy like grab his bag, you know, and look over at Al, like almost like, you know, flick his hand and, and he moves on, right? Yep. Mm. You know, and then obviously Peggy, I mean, so, you know, Al has the uh, Bolarama record, holds it for like less than maybe 15 minutes before Peggy, you know, pulls the perfect game. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, so later on, when we get into Jim's Bolarama, it's like, why isn't there a statue of Peg up? That's one question that I have. I asked myself that too. Right. I mean, because you would think that she would have her own plaque because she has to now hold the Jim's Bolarama record. But yeah, but now like, you know, what we see at the end of that season four episode is Puggy leaving. Right. Because, again, wife, kids and the 300 pound hooker and he's moving out of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now it's like all of a sudden flash forward five seasons. Al wants to get the Puggy Weaver Cup. First of all, like, you know, why would it be the Puggy Weaver Cup? If shouldn't it be the Peggy Bundy Cup? Because she is the now Jim's Bolarama. She holds that Bolarama record unless Puggy won something else like in other words he had a high record or maybe he'd beaten it but we're not told that before you know during the course of the episode right yeah 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 i think again we have to either fill in the blanks or make up our own backstory maybe puggy came back to level peg's record and he came back a few times and did it you know consecutively a few times in a row and has since uh, made his mark as the legend of jim's bolorama which is whereas Peggy was just a, a one and done. So, you know, and I'd say the, one of the best piece of continuity is that, you know, I did look back at the set. So if you look at the set between season four and season nine, they did bring back the same set. The only thing they did was some, there were some updates to the set. So if, which you would imagine, like for any place, you know, over the course of a few years, you know, they might repaint, but um, it is the same exact set. So I thought that was a nice piece of continuity. And you also notice later there's a banner for the Puggy Weaver Cup that's put above the lanes when they walk in. Now, another piece of continuity I want to talk about here is that Marcy asked, Who's Puggy Weaver? Mm. It's like, she was there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, you remember like, uh, remember even like the dialogue between her and Peg in Jim's Bolarama? It was like, uh, Marcy at that point was single. Yes. And she... <laughs> and uh, and she would have says, been down there quite a lot. She was there to pick up a man. She should probably hit up, hit on this guy. You would think, right? Because uh, what was the dialogue? Marcy, Peggy. <laughs> this isn't as pitiful as it seems. Well, actually, I was told this is a good place to meet men. 
And it is. Why, just last week, I met two guys. Of course, they left together. <laughs> yep, the single life for me. Oh, yeah. This is the place to find a good one. You know, there's nothing wrong with dating a doctor or a lawyer. But when you are really ready to settle down... <laughs> <laughs> Beat a bowler. It's like if you really want like a man, it's like yeah, there's nothing beats a bowler, right? And it's like yeah. there's a fat guy who's like scratching his stomach. <laughs> right? yeah. Just walking by. So, like I said, so that was like, you know, that's the little bone that I have to pick. I mean, next season, you know, Bud Bundy asks, Well, who's Luke Ventura? Well, when we have that episode come up, right? Mm. All right, yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, didn't that happen already? No, th- I'm sorry. This that's this season. Yeah. Uh, it 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 was the maid the next episode after this, but I think it aired early. Uh, yeah, um, that that's uh, Pump Fiction. It was made after Shula Sal, but it would have aired two or three episodes ago, something. Yeah. Right. So so like you know, so we have two instances, you know, of them calling back to prior seasons, but it's like uh, some of these characters have amnesia, like they don't know who Puggy Weaver is. I mean, again, how could Marcy forget Puggy Weaver? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and two episodes ago, like you say, Bud says, "Who's Luke Ventura?" Uh, yes, he was a kid back then in season one, so he's, he we wouldn't care who who that was Luke. But to have they have to have our character say, "Who's this person?" so they can explain it to the audience. But perhaps there was a different way they could have done that. And and you know, last thing I'll say on Puggy is, you know, what a way to die. I mean, he tried <laughs> he died trying to swallow eight waffles. Wow, even I couldn't do that. Who's Puggy Weaver? <laughs> Only the most honored bowler in the history of Jim's Bowlerama. He's dead now, but he symbolized the Olympian ideal of pure competition. How'd he die? He choked to death trying to swallow eight waffles. <laughs> we tried to stop him at seven, but he was going for the record. What an athlete! <laughs> Get a grip, Bob Rooney. You know, I mean, and Bob Rooney, again, who wasn't around in season four, he says, we tried to stop him at seven, but he was going for the record. What an athlete. Yes, <laughs> what, an, what an athlete. Uh, so he obviously died sometime between 1990 and 1995, so we obviously don't know when he passed away. Right, but like I said, to me, the backstory is, it's like if he was supposed to have been leaving the neighborhood and Al wasn't supposed to see him again at the end of season four, it's like, well, we should have had some backstory to say, well, you know, Puggy Weaver moved back a few years ago and, you know, he had the uh, Bolarama record, etc. But like I said, I, like to me, it's like, th- this is an operatic character. I mean, like, like imagine like a death scene for him on an opera stage, right? Yeah, like a stack of waffles, you know, trying to go for the gold. Exactly. 
Yeah, so hence the Puggy Weaver Cup. So Owl's bowling team has one more victory to get the Gary Oak, I mean Puggy Weaver Cup. Yes, and, and they've got to do a strict tra training re regime of Twinkies, Ding Dongs and beer and no sex with the wives. Protect your bowling arm at all times. Yes, and I will just say, um, Luigi, you might hate me for this, but personally, I think Twinkies and Ding Dongs are a bit overrated. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, uh, you know, for those of you uh, who haven't seen my video on Ding Dongs, uh, I, that's uh, published on the YouTube channel uh, back, uh, I'm going to say it was uh, July or August of 2020. So you could see them there if you scroll. Um, and again, like I, I had Ding Dongs for the first time in 30 years. I probably haven't had a Twinkie in 25 years, but uh, a little too much sugar for me. I'm still yet to have a ding dong, but I I have seen Twinkies here, and uh, there was <laughs> sold very cheaply in a place called Cheap as Chips. <laughs> it was a, a box of Twinkies. I thought, what the hell? I bought them. I think I had two, and I couldn't finish the others. Yeah, and this is the last reference to ding dongs that we have as well. Wow. Um. Yeah, ding dongs are a bit of a favorite of the writers, as as we know, because they've had a few references to them before. Uh... Yes. Where is it? Yeah, there's been quite a few references on this show. Uh, can't remember exactly which ones. Uh, but yeah, bowling arms um, must must not be must not be wrecked. Yeah, and did you notice? This is the kind of thing I notice in TV shows. I always notice when someone's left-handed, and in Married with Children, both Al and Griff are left-handed, but. Griff is a, what I call a proper lefty because he bowls with his left hand, but Al does not. Ah, so a, a, a true Southpaw. Hmm. A true customer of, the, of Ned Flanders' Leftorium from Fox's Neighbours, The Simpsons. There you go. But yeah, Al, Al bowls right-handed and, um, you know, very occasionally he'll eat right-handed as well and things like that. It's, it, this is a very minor detail to pick up on, but he's protecting his right hand. And he does bowl right-handed in all the bowling episodes we've seen. So, I guess you know Ed O'Neill is a is a he's a bit more ambidextrous than the others. I think yes, agreed. Nicely picked up there. Lock it down <laughs> for the eighth and final time. What are you morons doing? Well, well, ma'am, if you had taken the time to read page nineteen of the sports section. Beneath the high school track and field results, you would know that we, Gary's Angels, are bowling against AJ's Cascateria next week for the prestigious Puggy Weaver Memorial Cup. So I'm assuming Gary's Angels is a pun on uh, Charlie's Angels? Possibly. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. They, yeah, I, I just I can't think of another name. For the shoe store, I mean, Gary's, Gary would have called it whatever she wanted, but yeah, I guess so.
I mean, and you know, the um, and the woman calls them morons, right? So yeah, you would have thought that that line was written for Gary at first, right? But no, it's uh, one of the customers. Yeah, I did like her line. This is the worst puppet show she's ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hang on. What's this uh, fat woman's shoe size? Oh, <laughs> too big for shoes. <laughs> Because I thought this was the worst puppet show I've ever seen. <laughs> now, what size am I? Well, I'm no expert, but from where I sit, I'd say, too big for shoes. <laughs> I'll have your jobs for this. Fine, if we can trade for what's in your fridge. <laughs> You know, this wouldn't be a bad job if people didn't come in here. <laughs> hey, Al, you mind if I knock off early? Sure, go ahead, buddy. But remember, no sex. Whoa. Farthest thing from my mind. Uh. <laughs> and our resident shoeman, Alan Griff, try and fit, fit Fraser foot eight times, and she's not very happy. She, claim, she wants to get the jobs taken from them. But I wouldn't mind, as long as he gets what's in her fridge. <laughs> well, if it's full of Twinkies and Ding Dongs, I'd be a bit uh, dis- disappointed myself. Even though there were references in seasons 1, 4, 8 and 9. Uh, but yeah, it's a nice, another nice uh, sh- sh- shoe store moment here. You say nice, and, and, and Griff also gets lucky. Oh, he's fallen. Oh no, what have you done, Griff? How dare you betray Gary's angels? How dare you ruin your chances of Peggy Puggy Weaver Cup? Oh yeah. I mean, a rather attractive woman that just appears magically at the door, right? Yeah, funny about that. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Two lonely people, we were strangers in the night Up to the moment when we said our first hello Little did we know, love was just a glance away A warm embracing dance away Another Frank Sinatra song, so Fat Pack again yeah, a bit too good of a time. I mean, Strangers Night is one of my favourite songs. Uh, but yeah, so Griff's obviously had a great time. Al, uh, not so much. Oh, just I'll tidy up around here a little bit. Of course, there's not much you can do with one hand up in the air. Except put the other one up. <laughs> No. Al is held up by a geeky-looking robber. <laughs> well, I notice he doesn't say anything. I don't think he's credited. And he doesn't look like anyone in particular. So, I don't know. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't very convincing. No, not, not at all. I mean, I guess, you know, because I was going to say, he looks like a little punk, but I... I mm. I figured just because he had a gun, like, you know, because usually, like, you know, Al is beating up guys twice his size, right? Especially, like, if he was trying to go after uh, Kelly, right? If somebody was kissing Kelly. So it didn't seem, it wasn't convincing at all. I just figured, like, they could have gotten, even Genghis, right? <laughs> Would have been yeah. better. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, the geeky-looking rob robber manages to hold up the shoe store, and uh, well, Al ends up in the storeroom. Al? Oh, you're in the bathroom, huh? <laughs> Surrounded by shoes. Oh, I thought, yeah, I mean, bad enough you got haunted by feet, Al, but now you're haunted by shoes. <laughs> and Al, Al already has nightmares about feet, I mean. Oh, right. oh don't remind this him. This story could actually be true. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 thought, I thought it was funny, like, you know, the touch of sarcasm. So he says, you know, like, uh, Griff says, what happened? Were you robbed? He says, no, Kathy Ireland came <laughs> in here, tied me up, and we had wild sex all night. What happened, Al? Were you robbed? No, Kathy Ireland came in here, tied me up, and we had wild sex all night. <laughs> Same thing happened to me. Tell me, you moron! Hey, Al, your arm is down. Hey, hey, what happened? Well, apparently, Kathy Ireland came in. <laughs> Coincidentally, I actually saw Kathy Ireland around the time that this episode aired in 1995. One of the things that she used to do was open up Kmarts, and there was a Kmart that opened right near my high school. And I remember it was a big event, and you could have your picture taken with her, and she was signing autographs. You do so much running around every day. You don't have time to think about what to wear, but you still want to look good. That's why Kmart asked me to create the Kathy Ireland Activewear Collection. Now 30% off, it's a great Kmart extra. Let's see. Thank you. Now, what do I have to do after lunch? A friend of mine, uh, this couple that I know, actually met Kathy Ireland a few months ago. All right. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say it was probably back in January. So Kathy Ireland has become one of the most wealthiest uh, models, I think, or if she's not the wealthiest model out there, because she took all of her fame and all the money that she made and pumped it into businesses. So yeah. uh, she has a number of brands that she sells and... Um, my friend a Amy Nicholas was on Modern Living with her. Yeah. Back in, I guess it was in January. So if you, uh, this was about uh, CBD uh, for a company called Hempzilla. So like she does marketing for them. So it was very interesting. But, uh, you know, Kathy Ireland has been around, uh, you know, at least the national consciousness since the mid 90s. And she still looks lovely as ever. I have to Google her. Uh, but for those unfamiliar, Kathy Ireland, born on the 20th of March, 1963, she's an American model and actress turned author and entrepreneur. She was a supermodel in the 80s and 90s, appearing in 13 consecutive Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues. In 1993, she founded a brand marketing company, Kathy Ireland Worldwide, or KIWW, which has made her one of the wealthiest former models in the world. As a result of her career as a businesswoman, she's, she had a four, 420 million personal fortune by 2015, and in 2012, $2 billion worth of products bearing a company's brand was sold. So, well done, Kathy Ireland. 
Yeah. I, th- I think um, Whoa. Uh, anyone who, who's seen Family cool. Guy will probably recognise her as well. Because yeah. <laughs> she's, she's like a cardboard, a cutout of Kathy Island, non-animated, has shown up on Family Guy. Um, I think Peter falls in love with her. And then later on in a different episode, you see it in their garage. Yeah. So he's hung on to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, just to put it into perspective, like she's good friends with Warren Buffett. Oh, yeah. Ah. So, so I, I'd say she's definitely a model who's got a lot of brains. Don't mind me. I'm just admiring um Kathy Ireland. I uh, just uh, thought I'd go- Google her to see save myself. Thank you, Mary to Children, for bringing her to my attention. Hempzilla, great name. <laughs> yeah. Very good. I like it when you know good-looking women turn out to have brains, or you know they know how to run a business, or something like that. Yes, agreed. Uh, yeah, she's definitely no dumb bimbo. That's for sure. Now, I, I think like one of the the funny lines, uh, you know, uh, after. Uh, Griff discovers Al, like, tied up. Jefferson, it was awful. Some guy came in here and tried to rob me. He tried to make me open the register, and it had been so long I'd forgotten how. (laughs) 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 That's funny. Yes. (laughs) Right, so uh, when Jefferson notices what's happened with Al's arm being down and uh, Al surrounded by shoes, (laughs) telling Griff to shut up, Jefferson recommends our Sue being traumatized by the shoes to get, make a little bit of money that would otherwise be go to this quango known as Social Security. Hey, hey, I just had a thought. <laughs> Have you ever heard of stress-related illnesses? No, what are those? They're bull, but they've made people millions of dollars. <laughs> All you have to do is say that you've been traumatized and you can't work around shoes anymore and then sue. Sue? Sue who? Everybody! (laughs) Believe me, Al, malls across America set aside millions of dollars for just this type of frivolous lawsuit. It's the American way, Al. And if these millions are not spent on lawsuits, they go to Social Security. Then nobody gets it. (laughs) Then nobody gets it. That's right. It's been a a running joke uh, in the American uh, consciousness forever. (laughs) I mean, you always hear, like, you know, Social Security is going to go broke at some point. Uh, But... uh, some interesting thing here is, so uh, I work for an insurance company. This is actually hits very close to home with me because there are, you know, tens of thousands of people who try to commit insurance fraud all the time. And that's really like what they're talking about. You know, it's not the mall, like the mall set aside the money. Really what they do is they buy insurance policies, you know, for things like this, because it would be considered some kind of tort, I guess. So, you know, whether it's... Uh, you know, what Al be, be, would be suffering with, like, BTSD, you know, due yeah. to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting robbed or, like, a, it's a slip and fall, like somebody slips and falls, uh, you know, outside of a store. Well, you know, there's insurance that covers that. Uh, I, not much different in Australia. So I would say, like, Western countries, it's pretty much the same, especially common law countries. It, it's, it's fairly typical. Although I think, like, Americans take it to an extreme where it's like anything... Jefferson says, it's like, sue, it's like, sue who? Sue everybody. I mean, that's effectively <laughs> what happens here in the U.S. And that's why we have lots of um, liability coverage that uh, gets covered. I mean, it's in the millions of dollars. And so my company uh, sells to corporations, insurance to corporations, like a mall. So what we also have is a group of people who, like, uh, what they're called, like, in a special uh, investigative unit, so that when we see... Uh, claims that come in that seem to be 
abnormal, you know, they will do an investigation because, you know, obviously <laughs> there are plenty of people out there who try to game the system to earn a lot of money as a result of that. So this is, it's true. I mean, they, they've put it to comedic effect, but that's effectively what happens in the U.S. You know, and I mentioned this, especially for international listeners, because uh, if in your country, like I said, if, if, <laughs> if people don't sue, just literally, uh, you know, and I'll give you an example, like, um, it's like it's snowing outside, right? And usually there are laws that say that you have to remove the snow from in front of your home within a certain period of time, right? From a practical standpoint, if it's still snowing out and somebody slips and falls in front of your home, it's like, how are you supposed to prevent the fact that nature is snowing on you, right? Yeah. But, but many times, I mean, they will, you will see a lawsuit maybe a few months later and somebody says, well, you know, I broke my leg or I can't go to work, et cetera. And you end up settling you know, they may sue you for, let's say, you know, $500,000. And many times, you know, once you have to get lawyers involved, they'll just say, it's like, let's just settle and, you know, we'll settle for $50,000 because it gets paid out by the insurance company. And the insurance company will say, you know, it's worth it to them to just pay out $50,000 because the cost of lawyers is more than, <laughs> you know, the cost of the settlement. Uh, and that's like, again, a feature of the American justice system. Yeah, sounds a bit different to the Australian justice system. Insurance fraud is nowhere near as big of a thing as down here. Interesting. Yeah, we don't we don't really have the whole um, suing culture in Australia. I mean, people obviously sue sue things, but the whole suing culture that's prominent in America is not nowhere near as prominent down here. So then Griff wishes he was robbed, but he was tied up by his date. Uh, but then he realised he was robbed because he realised his wallet was missing. <laughs> I wish I'd been tied up and robbed. <laughs> well, actually, I did get tied up. <laughs> but I didn't get robbed. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm sure the wallet would have been emptied even if he still had it either way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> emptied or cards taken out. <laughs> hey, Peg, guess what? Al, before you go to work, would you take out the trash? <laughs> no, Peg, you don't understand. I've got something important to tell you. I know it's probably not as important as Richard Bailey running around with a condom on his head, but it's all I got. What is it, Al? I'm suing them all, Peg. All I gotta do is pretend I'm afraid of shoes and not get caught wearing them, and they give me a bunch of money. <laughs> Uh, bad news, Al. For some ungodly reason, they seem to be cracking down on frivolous lawsuits. The, the mall just hired a private investigator. He, he trailed me here. I tried to shake him at the nudie bar. And, uh, I, I mean, uh, I, I got here as soon as I could. Look, they just want to be sure that you're really afraid of shoes. Yes. So back, back, of, the, back of the house, uh... Peggy wants Al to take out the trash, and Jefferson tells Al needs proof that he's afraid of shoes. Needs actual proof. So, Al, Al shows he, he can be convincing, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there was also that uh, swipe at Richard Bay. Yes. Um, a, a, a reference of the time. Yeah, another one, yes, in the show. 
Yeah, we had a couple. We also had a reference to Geraldo and Jenny Jones. So this is just married with children, just you know, poking fun at all of the uh, daytime talk show hosts. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, Geraldo. He was he's been mentioned a lot, and this season especially. Um, I think the last time the three of us met, he was mentioned. Um, but the Jenny Jones reference—that's interesting because uh, I don't think she's been mentioned before or even since. But she's a, a Canadian-American stand-up comedian who had a talk show host. There's an incident that's mentioned in this episode a little bit later, but we may as well mention it now, where the TV announcer says, "Today on Denny Jones, people who survived meeting on the, or today on Geraldo, people who survived being on the Jenny Jones show." Today on Geraldo, <laughs> people who survived being on Jenny Jones. <laughs> And that's a reference to an incident in very early 1995 where a gay man confessed his love to a straight man on Jenny Jones and later the straight man killed the gay guy. So that's a very specific reference to... Very dark, very too. Ni- yeah. yeah, very... Yeah, yeah, not funny at all, Nor. but um, very, um, very specific, very dark reference to a very 90s event. Yes, and at the time this episode was written and filmed, uh, very, very recent too, because early 95, and this was, well, aired in May and uh, filmed in April, so this would be written no later than um, March, so this would have, it would have been very fresh in our minds. Absolutely. Yes, and a bit more about the Jenny Jones show. So the Jenny Jones show didn't even exist when Married to Children premiered. It didn't come on until 1991, and it ran all the way to 2003. I remember, I remember watching. I remember my mum used to watch it um, when I was in primary school. So uh, I do remember it being on, but I never really saw much of it. No, I didn't see much of it either. But I knew it must have been popular because the first time I saw this episode, I knew about the reference they were referring to. So it must have been popular, or at least that that incident must have been even here. I mean, so it's that it says something that I knew what that was referring to. Yeah, I, I mean, all of those all of those talk shows like they they all went for like these outrageous topics, and I mean that's really like what they were poking fun at. You know, I mean, we see that till today. It's like, oh, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, daddy's my daddy's dating my best friend, or you know, <laughs> or, uh, or uh, you know, so, something along those lines. And yeah, my daddy saw my behind on Oprah week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and the thing was, you know, I mean, in retrospect, if you if you think back, it's like something like Oprah or even Phil Donahue, like they weren't like that. I mean, at least you know, from from the little that I saw of them, like they were actually like serious talk shows that were talking about topics. Right. Mm. Uh, But I mean, I'd say like Richard Bay, uh, Jenny Jones, Jerry Springer, obviously, like that was where it's like the (laughs) the the guests are like literally punching each other on on camera. Right. And uh, Mm -hmm. obviously, uh, we don't know like how real that is. I imagine a lot of it is staged anyway. But, uh, you know, it was a very different type of entertainment, but people love it. That's that. That's what I don't understand. Right. They just love to see that. Yeah, it's a very um, unique type of entertainment. Yeah, but yeah, Al has to prove that he's really afraid of shoes. So how convincing can you be? How convincing can I be? (laughs) (laughs) Now, 
It may appear that I enjoyed that. <laughs> when in actuality, I'm choking on my own body. Yeah, you fooled me. <laughs> oh, that's him. Okay, remember, stay cool. Our lives are in your feet. That's why life stinks. <laughs> oh, so he, he kisses Peg really passionately to prove he can be convincing the Jefferson. <laughs> and then admits he choked on his own bile. Peg gives him, <laughs> Peg gives him a nice slap. <laughs> Well, I'm welcome. I welcome the moment of affection, but yeah, a bit, a bit unusual. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, although I, I love the line. It says, "Our lives are in your feet." It says, "That's why life stinks." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> Hi, I'm Leslie Baum, private investigator. I represent the New Market Mall in your frivolous $4 million lawsuit. Charmed. <laughs> Look, Bundy, I'll tell you straight out, I think you're a fraud. Oh, yeah? Well, with a name like Leslie, I think you're a sissy. <laughs> what is that? Come on in, stay a week, and try to disprove my cockamamie little shoe story? Don't mind if I do. <laughs> Bomb, you can't just barge in here. So we meet this this Leslie Baum guy, and um, he should look familiar to married with children viewers, right? That's that's right. Poppy's by the tree. Mm-hmm. Yep, way way back in uh, season two. Uh, yes, a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah, even if you don't recognize him, you might recognize his voice. Hey, even bumpkins have feelings, Kel. <laughs> what do you want? A bus ticket in a real family. But for now, I'll settle for a couple of burgers. Two burgers, Beanie. <laughs> More burgers, Beanie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, Leslie Baum, representing the New Market Mall in the lawsuit, uh, believes Al is a fraud. Let's face it, he is. Uh, so, whilst representing the New Market Mall in his frivolous $4 million lawsuit, uh, Al calls Leslie a sissy, uh, probably partly because Leslie, especially the spelling, is more of a woman's name than a man's. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those gender-neutral names, really, um, both spellings. I think Bob Hope's real name is Leslie. Ah, well, I, I no wonder he went to under Bob, and obviously John, <laughs> John Wayne was Marion Morris, and there's plenty of other examples, but um, that's probably part of the reason why Al called him a sissy, because, well... Uh, most of the Leslie's I've met personally have been female. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know, like they said, gender-neutral names. There's like Leslie. There's Jamie, Robin, for example. Yeah, and it depends on where you are. I mean, yep. then, then then there's variations on spelling, but yeah, I mean, it can sort of go either way. Yes, I mean, funny you mentioned Robin because Robin um, is more of a woman's name in the U.S. So you know, it was funny when I was in college. I got a quick story. There was a guy by the name of uh, Gabriel. Right. Yeah, and it, you know the thing is, so Gabriel, it, it's written in Italian. It could either be like uh, Gab- Gabriel, right? It could be like it could sort of go either way, but there's a difference in spelling. Yeah. So there was this one, uh, one of our friends. Uh, he um, he was always interested in knowing like if there were any new females around. So 
we we've all kept talking about how you know there was uh, this uh, this girl named you know Gabriel right Gabriel. Yep. And he just kept going and going and going. So finally, like, you know, we we introduced him. And his response was, hey, I thought you were a girl. <laughs> and it clearly, clearly wasn't. But, you know, that's what happens with some of those gender neutral names, right? Yes. Yeah, especially in different languages as well. I think uh, a friend of mine's uh, husband, his name is Michael. Um, and he discovered one day that in French his name is pronounced Michel. Michel, and he yes. was he was not having that. Yes, we uh, we, oui, oui. no no. Yeah, you know my my friend who was on uh, my friend Mike who was on the um, the episode a few weeks ago, the user friendly who did uh, the electrician. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know my nickname for him is Crazy Mike. So when I was in France, uh, I was he called me one day. And uh, I was uh, having a discussion with someone. I was like, this is my friend, Crazy Mike. So this is, ah, Michel Le Foul. Ha! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, back to our little uh, lawsuit. Yeah, Leslie um, is not convinced by Al. And Al almost fails at step one um, when, he, when he wants to kick, it, kick him out. Uh, he has one week to prove his fear of shoes is real. Well, why don't you just put on your shoes and kick me out? <laughs> You're damn right I will! Uh, him. Will not. <laughs> because... I'm afraid of shoes, you see. Tell you what, Mr. Bundy. You have one week to convince me that you are afraid of shoes. I have one week to prove that you're the biggest fool alive. Right now, my money's on me. (laughs) So, feeling lucky, Bundy? Let's rock. (laughs) And Ed O'Neill's feet, in that scene where you got um, Leslie and Al's... um, feet um not that bad hardly as bad as al bundy's feet are made out to be no because we yeah when he took his shoes off and put his foot on his knee i'm like okay what's wrong with his feet (laughs) uh nothing he's got pretty normal feet they just must smell pretty bad because we've seen his feet up close before we see his teeth as well Um, they're obviously not nowhere they're that bad either we've seen his teeth plenty of times I mean, later on when we get to the bowling alley, I mean, even the casket, the casketeria guys make a comment about the smell, right? Just somebody brought their work home with them. Right? <laughs> 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 oh, it's just Bundy with no shoes on. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Leslie um, basically moves it, moves in for the week. Uh, ends up dressing almost like Al, I noticed. Mrs. Bundy, I couldn't help but notice that you're really attached to your TV. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. My TV was talking. You know, if you're willing to help me out here, there just might be a 40-incher in it for you. (laughs) Mr. Bomb? I meant a big-screen TV. I mean, you want me to sell out the man that I've been married to for... Ooh, is that picture in a picture? Yeah, he looks like he hasn't changed for a few days, so I guess he's just sitting there watching them 
go about their day. Yeah, dressing like Owl, basically. You know. waiting for, yeah, waiting for the moment to catch him out. I mean, it sort of reminded me of when Jim Jupiter was on the couch. <laughs> yes! <laughs> we all know how that ended. <laughs> bon bon. I like strawberry the best, don't you? Actually, the mocha Shh. or my... Oprah's on. Because oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought, you know, when the first time I saw this episode, I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, is Peggy going to find some way of killing this guy too? Of course. <laughs> like, like, I didn't know how it was going to go, you know? Yeah, that could have been one option. It could have been. Thankfully, uh, not today. No, no, no more deaths in the Bundy house, uh, well, at least for now. Uh, but yeah, but yes, uh, dearie me. Uh, so obviously, we've got, now we've got the Jenny Jones reference on the TV. Uh, Leslie notices Peg's obsession with watching things on TV and tries to bribe her with a 40-inch set, uh, which is actually pretty small by modern-day standards. I believe you can buy 75-inch sets here now. Oh, yeah. No, but I mean, in, in 1995, I mean, that was a big deal. Oh, yeah. You know, if, if you think about, you know, what television sizes were, because at that point in time, TVs uh, had started to uh, transition over to projection style TVs, right? If you remember that. So, I mean, a cathode ray tube television, 40 inch, was pro- who probably would have weighed like 150 pounds. Yeah. You know, like old style. It would have been almost like a console type TV if you could get one that size. Uh, so, I mean, at, at that point, it probably would have been like a projection TV, which was still heavy by today's standards. I mean, now, like, you know, a, a healthy uh, teenager could pick up uh, a 75-inch set box, right? Yeah, yeah. and we're, we're talking about flashbacks to various episodes in season four again. You know, when they go to Vegas, Al says the TV they had then was 19 inches. So even though this is five years before this episode, they might have a slightly bigger TV now. But yeah, 19 or 20 to 40 is <laughs> double awesome. the size. So no wonder Peg got excited. That's right. Well, 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 Peg also didn't think it was a TV that Mr. Baum was talking about. Indeed. Uh, indeed. <laughs> of course Mr. not. Mr. Baum. <laughs> but, so on a side note, uh, do either of you recall what size TV set your households had around, around this time? This time, no, not this, not not in this year era. Uh, it was probably, I'm going to say, uh, uh, sort of like in the 30s. I'm going to say, like I'm I'm looking at my like I have 22 inch monitors in front of me, right? Yep. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, if if I doubled them up, I'm at 44 inch. No, it's probably more like 30 something. You know, so I don't know if it was 32 or 36. You know, whatever those sizes were. And at this point in time, I, I, my, I don't think my parents even had um, a projection TV. Like, we still had a CRT television. Yeah, I had a 31-inch TV in about 2000, so 20 years ago. Was that yours or the family's? Uh, it was mine. Uh, the, the parents had a TV, a similar size, but bigger. Or well, They obviously had the newer TV. I had their, the, the second one, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad a TV at all. Nice, uh... If I recall correctly, my family had around a 24-inch. Uh, Projection-style TVs weren't that big in Australia at the time. Um, so, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I could be wrong, but I recall having around a 24-inch, maybe a bit bigger than my fam- family's house had. Yeah, the TV that was talking to me earlier that I'm looking at now is 
close, I think at least eight or nine years old now. And I think that's a 55 inch. And the one in the bedroom is about the same. And that we would have got a bigger one in the bedroom, but there's just no room for it. Because uh, the only place to put it is on the other side of the door. But that we went for quality over size for the one in the bedroom. Hey, I don't want to sound too much like Stephen Marcy and their, their TV in the bedroom. <laughs> that one is really, really good quality. So you would need the super VHS, uh, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got one of those. Don't worry. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I still own a VHS. We're talking about all technology. I've still got, we've got two VHSs. VCR, sorry. And they're both VHS. Nice. Yeah, I have one. Yeah, because uh, sometimes I get asked to convert some old tapes and I can just hook up a USB and, and do it that way. Um, it's, it's not the greatest quality in the world, but it works. And um, and VCRs, they're just going to get more and more obsolete. And I've still got tapes. I've still got Married to Children on tape from when it first aired here without, um, you know, edits and commercial breaks and, and in you know, the original music and everything. So I've sort of held on to the, the real prized possessions. Ah, so, I, just, still, I, love style, yeah. I love your style, Annabelle. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say, uh, no wonder you, at your wedding, I remember your mum said to me, she can apparently recite entire episodes. I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, my mum said that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she was sure it was partly in jest. I don't think she could be able to recite an entire episode, but I always fondly, fondly remember that. Well, I can definitely recite entire episodes. Uh, not every single episode, but there are select episodes and... Um, I don't know, maybe she was showing off or she just had a few wines. Now, let's see. Oh, now while we're in the living room, uh, Bud is reading. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Le- uh, Leslie Baum correctly mentions that he is not reading, rather admiring a magazine with fold-outs. And he correctly calls Bud's upstairs move five seconds before he starts to move. Look, Mrs. Bundy, I can spot a liar a mile away, and I'll prove it. For instance, take your son there. Looks like he's reading, but if you'll notice, his eyes aren't moving. (laughs) That usually denotes that he's looking at a picture. From the little beads of sweat on his forehead, I think it folds out. <laughs> he should be heading upstairs any time now. <laughs> I love the look on Bud's face. <laughs> he doesn't even blink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, like what um, you know. And I said this uh, when I first came on the podcast at the end of season six. You know, I talked about how uh, you know in comedy. Uh, one of the things that Mel Brooks has said is how, you know, many times you're not uh, comedians or, you know, are constrained or they're not able to what he calls ring the bell. In other words, take a joke, you know, all the way through. Like if you think of a show like Married with Children, I mean, they're able to, you know, like the that whole scene with Peg and uh, Leslie Baum on the couch, it's like. You know, he says, you know, for the little beads of sweat, I think it folds out, right? So it's like, okay, so he's looking at, you know, a, a girly magazine, right? Probably, you know, like something like a Playboy or Biggins. But then it's like he rings the bell by saying he should be heading upstairs any time now. It's like, bing, like, you know, in other words, okay, now he turned it into a masturbation joke, right? <laughs> and, and they acted out. And the thing is, is that like nobody else on television was doing that kind of stuff. 
right? Like, again, like nobody wanted to go there, right? Like, they would just say, it's like, oh, he's looking at a girly magazine. But now it's like you want to take it one step further, right? Finish the joke. Finish the thought. And that's what makes it funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, very well-crafted joke there. Uh, he, oh, Leslie's onto everyone in the house. He's onto everyone. Uh, yeah, he is. He is good. Al, you got to be careful. This guy is good. Don't worry, Peg. All I got to do is go three more days. If I can serve 20 years with you, I can... <laughs> I can handle 72 hours with Squirrel Boy. <laughs> And I've also, well, because Al's obviously serving a weak sentence in, in, in the house under Leslie to pr- make, it, make a quick buck. Uh, he also mentions in a... I know we talk about continuity errors all the time on this podcast, but this one actually actually bores my blood a little because he mentions served 20 years with Peg. Hang on. Uh, literally eight episodes ago, you mentioned you made married for 25 years. Uh, sorry, guys. Yeah, that that stuff just really frosts my Kelvinator sometimes. <laughs> oh, he, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, I he we can he can be forgiven because he is just speaking casually, but still he would have said, you know, if I can serve twenty five years with you, I mean, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's just a, a throwaway a throwaway line, but you know, it bothers me this kind of stuff. Yeah, eight episodes between. Yeah. You know, I guess, you know, but I think one of the things that they thought, Annabelle, is like when it goes into syndication, like then people like, you know, again, when and especially during this period of time, you know, the show is in syndication. Nobody's really paying attention to like what order were the episodes, you know, originally broadcast. Right. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to care except, you know, nerds like us. Exactly. (laughs) And uh, I remember this was uh, when this episode aired. I was uh, finishing up my junior year of high school. Nice. I was finishing up my last year of primary school, which I guess you call grade school, elementary school. Yeah. I wasn't even in school. I was, uh, well, I was four, so it was a year before I started pre primary. Hopefully out of diapers by that point, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I was too busy watching Sesame Street and Super Ted and other shows that weren't married to children. Yeah, but like I said, I think you were just, you were smarter than Bud, who could change his own diaper, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> definitely You're a pretty bright guy, so I hope so. I was definitely smarter than Kelly when I was four, I'll just say that. I could actually tell the time and all that sort of thing, so I was way smarter than Kelly. And back then, this is 1995, so I, I wasn't quite 13, but I, I, I was watching Married with Children at this time. Just casually. So, yeah, back then I wouldn't have noticed the 20, 20 years, 25 years or whatever. But I was watching Married with Children back then, and so were a lot of children, I guess, because it was on mid-afternoon, sort of 3.30, I think it was. So a lot of kids saw this show in its first run. So, uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. you mentioned before that you used to basically run home from school to watch it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, school finished at 3.30, and if you're lucky, you could get out a couple minutes early. And I think the show started at 3.30, maybe, you know, it was running a bit late. And you'd just run ho- I'd run home from school and i just managed to catch what I could. This is before I realised, you know, if I like this show so much, I could just set the VCR up to record it. But <laughs> yeah. I thought, no, it's more like it's the thrill of running home. Like, oh, that show I like is on. <laughs> and yeah, I just tried to watch as much as I could. Yeah, I, I, re- I mean, I was watching First Run on Sunday night. So I was seeing like the new episodes uh, on Sundays. But the syndication, uh, when it was on syndication, it would... Uh, be at 5 and 5.30. So it was like a Bundy hour that was uh, advertised. 
Yep. So, you know, so if I got home from school early enough and I used to stay late, I used to do a lot of activities, like I would catch it then, but, or, you know, over the summers, but that went on for a few years, you know, for that Bundy hour. So, um, it was great because, you know, you would see the first from five to five thirty. there would be two completely different seasons usually. So you would see like maybe you might have a season four episode playing at, at five o'clock hour. And then you might have like a season one at uh, five thirty or et cetera. Nice. Very good. In my, um, as everybody knows, I, I'm looking for old married children promos and I scour the internet for them. And in there, there's quite a few promos for syndication, especially when it first started in 1991. And they actually shot some footage, especially for it. So if you ever find any of those promos, it's going to contain footage that nobody's seen before um, that's just contained for these promos. And there's a whole sort of a what I call a, a group of them that was sort of filmed in the same um, day, I suppose, because they're all wearing the same costumes. Incidentally, they're all wearing the same costumes from a season five episode, um, oldies but younguns. Hmm. Um, they're all wearing those outfits and they just did a, you know, at least, I've seen at least four or five different commercials and it's just to advertise the syndications. So yeah, when I look for promos, I, I look for all of the dates not just when the show was on, but all year round. So yeah, I'm always going to catch stuff. And any time I see new Married to Children footage, you know, it makes my heart flutter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Same here. A, a, four, a 45, a stinking 45. <laughs> all I wanted was the, you know, the record of the gun, and I'll even settle for the malt liquor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, oh, so who walks in the house? Um, when um, Al's still trying to prove a point to Leslie. Oh, hang on, it's the it's the rest of Gary's angels, isn't it? Al, quick, grab the bags. They move the finals to tonight. Zones. <laughs> well, we better hurry, bud. Ready our balls, men, to the alley. Um. One little problem, though, Mr. Bundy. Don't you usually bowl in shoes? <laughs> He's right, Al. It's time to ooze-lay the Amskay. <laughs> huh? He said lose the scam. Yeah. <laughs> because Bundy luck, of course, stipulates <laughs> yes. that they move the finals to then. To tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the things I found funny, and I don't know if it was done on purpose, but I th- I know Annabelle, you'll appreciate this one. It's like, who's the one who speaks pig Latin? <laughs> Bob Rooney, it does not work. Yeah, if, if you if you remember uh, on the uh, Jerry Springer episode, uh, remember he says like, <laughs> we we've been called pigs. <laughs> He's the one who speaks pig Latin. <laughs> Yes, um, yeah, so. Oh, lose the scam. <laughs> yeah, Squirrel Boy understood. He did, he did, yes. A nice little insult there from Al. Um. <laughs> I can handle 72 hours with Squirrel Boy. Uh, can I just mention, um, mention Bob Rooney. Did anyone notice the name on his bowling shirt? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, this is, this, is, this is a thing. Um, his name on his bowling shirt is Bob Rooney. One word. So it's not Bob space capital R for Rooney. It's Bob Rooney, one word, or so capital B, and the rest of the letters are lowercase. 
and um, I haven't got the info in front of me per se, but um, there's a uh, from E.E. E. Bell himself. He said the the costume department or whoever made the sh- the bowling shirts um, missed her- misheard the names that were to go on the bowling shirts. So the person making the shirts heard the name as Bob Rooney as one word. So that's how the shirts came back. And I guess they just ran with it because they didn't think that 20, 25, 30 years later, people were going to be discussing it on a podcast with larger TVs to see all this fine detail. Yeah. But yeah, next time you look at that, you'll see your shirt says Bob Rooney. Well, you know, I, I think what always tickles my funny bone, uh, Chris and I reviewed The Naked and the Dead, but mostly The Naked. Yeah, so in the end scenes, it's like, you know, know, uh, the, 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 you know, the men are making, you know, having sex with their wives and it's like, Oh, Charlie. Oh, Ike. Oh, Bob Rooney. <laughs> his own wife. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <sighs> Even his wife. <laughs> yeah, it actually made me stop and think if he's just been called Bob. Yeah, I struggle to think of uh, no. of a time, but uh, no, because yeah, no, every time Bob addresses Rooney. him, it's Bob Rooney, and it's a funny name. I mean, go with it. Yep, he'll always be Bob Rooney. That's that's for sure. But yeah, so of course they have to mention the game right in front of Squirrel Boy, who reminds Al that he needs shoes to bowl. He needs shoes. Yes, as <laughs> as we find in the bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. Um. Where AJ's cascateria are versing um, Gary's angel. I wonder if Bundy and the shoe flies are even going to show. <laughs> I don't know. In the high pressured world of shoe sales, you just don't wake up and go. Wait a minute, who's bringing their work home? Oh, it's just Bundy with no shoes on. That's cute, Milt. How's business? Dig up a new wife? Hey, come on, come on. We'll settle this on the Alley of Honor. Fine, Bundy, we're gonna bury you. And then we're gonna steal your watch. Then, of course, AJ's given a bit of an insult. Uh, the corner Bundy and the shoe flies. They even got a show? I don't know. Uh, and of course, Al turns up with no shoes on and tries to bowl barefoot. I am going to bowl barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Well, that's better than nothing. That is nothing. <laughs> don't worry about it. This championship is as good as ours. <laughs> You need shoes, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. She's one of my favorite recurring characters. I like that she also gets to say a little bit more than just, you need shoes. Like she actually has like, another couple of lines, but still, you need shoes. Why can't I bowl barefoot? Because we had a guy in here who bowled barefoot, fell, got a splinter, and sued us for $1.5 million. So the new rule is, you need shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Because some yeah. guy got a splinter and sued for a million and a half dollars. Right. <laughs> oh, which reminds me, I need to see whether there's modern money, because um, it's been quite a while since 1995, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, what's $4 million in today's money? I'll do that one first, yeah. I completely forgot about that earlier in the episode, so I'll do the $4 <laughs> million one first. So, $4 million in um, modern money is $7,065,485.56. If you convert that into Australian money, into AUD, Australian dollars, we you are talking about... Da, 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 $9 million, $445,632.47. So, uh, very impressive. Uh, and yes, um, looks like, yeah, we'll, we'll soon find out if Al is going to get his $4 million, but, um, to paraphrase the Rooster Teeth online series, million dollars, but. So, a million dollars, but you have an evil twin. People think he's evil. He looks exactly like you, except for maybe like he has like an evil goatee. Right, but it's four million and the puggy. Yes, four million hmm. and the puggy trick, of course. And we haven't seen the puggy yet either. No, we have not no, seen it. I haven't been spoiling it. No, we've not really seen the puggy with a cup. Yeah, I'd say it would be almost like, you know, like the Stanley Cup, like the hockey one, you know? That's what I think we're imagining. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I, I, love the, I love the guys from uh, AJ's Cascateria. <laughs> So, you know, they insult Al. It's like, you know, who's bringing their work home, right? He says, well, <laughs> he's like, how's business? He's like, did you dig up a new wife? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, a million dollars, but you have an evil twin. People think he's evil. He looks exactly like you, except for maybe like he has like an evil goatee. These guys from AJ's Cascateria, if you win the montage, you get a look at the score sheet. And all of these guys' names start with M. Milt, Marv, Mort, and Mel. Yeah, nicely spotted. I didn't. Even, I looked at the score sheet and I noticed a few little um, tidbits, but didn't notice um, AJ's names. And I just want to say, now that you brought it up, Anna, um, so was electronic scoring in the bowling alley not a thing in 1995? In all the times I've been to bowling alleys, I only remember the scoring being electronic. Well, uh, that's a great question. I remember... Uh, being like a Cub Scout in the 80s. Yeah. And at that time, you know, we were still doing paper, you know, paper, you know, you still had paper, you were doing scoring. I mean, not that I was a very good bowler, but um, I would say like, you know, by the mid 90s, we started to see uh, electronic scoring, but, you know, Jim's Bolarama has been around since at least 1965, right? I mean, and it's in a working-class neighborhood, so they probably had still hadn't had enough money yet, or had got around to converting to uh, electronic scoring. I mean, nowadays, you know, if you go to a bowling alley, you know, occasionally you'll do that. You know, like they've become almost like these destinations. It's like you have like gourmet food, you know, like there's music playing, there's neon lights. You know, it's more of like a family thing, but. You know, what we're looking at there on that set is the way bowling alleys used to be. It's like people would just go and bowl, right? <laughs> and even if you look at the console, you could see it has like a 60s look to it. Like, you know, in other words, like, you know, where the where you're supposed to be writing, you're keeping score and all that. So that's, I think, what we're seeing. And again, you know, I made that mention before. The set is the same set from season four, but it does have some updates. It looks like, you know, it had been painted... Uh, some things have been rearranged, but if you do a frame-by-frame comparison, you'll see that it's the same exact set. Yeah, yeah nothing much has changed. And there's, in other shows that I've seen, um, they have bowling episodes. The set is often very, very similar, so I think it's it's going to look similar anyway. I'm just trying to think. I think it's the Roseanne episode in season one where they go bowling. The, their set that they use is either identical 
to Maverick Children's, or it was identical to Home Improvements. I've just complete it's completely gone out of my mind now. But yeah, I, I saw the set. I was like, hey, that's the set from whatever it was, one of these episodes. But yeah, the in these oh, oh what I call old sitcoms, they're all going to look very similar. But I do like that they kept pretty much the same set and just changed little bits. I did too. Uh, and I just want to say, um, yeah, so I've ne- I don't remember um, paper scoring bowling alleys at all in the time I've been bowling. So all the bowling alleys here in Perth are electronic only and have been for as long as I remember because I would have first gone bowling a few years after this was aired. Yeah, it's the same, same here as well. I've never filled out a manual bowling sheet. Not that I've been bowling a lot but I had to go a few times as a kid and it, we would do it automatically because you had to wait and look up and wait for the score to, to fill in before the next person could take their turn so yeah I, I, I guess it was soon after this that they started or unless Australia was a, ahead of the world I don't know but yeah but I'm looking at this score sheet and if you pause it yeah it makes it can make for some interesting reading for example in AJ's Cascateria one of the guys, Mort, he's not as good a bowler as his teammates. Yeah. And then um, Bob Rooney and Jefferson's scores are very, very, very similar. And I, I wonder where Jefferson became a good bowler. Uh, Griff is a little bit better still. Yeah. And then Bud, for someone who's supposed to be pretty bad, he's not actually doing too badly, I think. But, again, I am not a bowling expert. And that's um, part of the reason I was hoping um, Alex could make it today because he was on the last two bowling episodes and this is the third of three bowling-themed episodes. It could have been a nice um, round-up moment and he could have told us a lot more. But I'm glad there is um, some sort of sporting person with us and with our our resident American. Well, like I said, unfortunately I can't uh, help in that area. But... (laughs) (laughs) But better than we could do, yeah. <laughs> but what I will say about sort of the difference, I mean, that question, the original question you had, Matt, about having, you know, paper scoring sheets. Yep. You know, I remember as a child, you know, and again, I was probably about eight or nine years old. You know, the thing is you had to pay attention. You see, nowadays when, you, when, you, when I bowl, it's like I just sort of throw the ball and then the, you know, the computer sort of tells you like what your score is, right? Yeah. When you have to do it by paper, it's like you're paying attention. It's like, okay, how many balls went down? And you'd have to write it down. I, I don't remember how to do it now. But I, I think like doing it in the manual, you know, the old way of doing it is, you know, you really have to concentrate on the game, especially if you're trying to keep score and you're trying to pay, play competitively. I'm, I'm now wondering if I did use a paper score once because I sort of remember how to score, like, you know, what that line means a spare. So I must have done it at some point. Because you would have gone bowling yeah. for, say, friends' birthdays in primary school, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I tried to, I'm trying to think of. And I know I went bowling a couple of times with my dad when I was young. but And I, I, I did know how to score because there was this whole... I was actually taught what to do when you get a strike and then, you know, strike after strikes. Um, and now it's all automated, of course. And, um, yeah, so I must have done it at some point. But this is probably just when it was coming in, the electric. Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to point out uh, about the set is that it, this is the same set as the Puggy Weaver episode, you know, for when Peggy Bowls 300, right? And the uh, the one before, though, was slightly different. Like, that was a different set. That was the one against the Stokes family, Stokes family, whatever, however yeah. they said. Yeah, so you, you can see, like, a, a difference between it. Now, there's an interesting line. So Al says, you know, uh, he's my son, don't you? 
don't don't you think I know he stinks? But he's a Bundy, right? Because <laughs> if you remember when Steve is trying to teach Bud how to bowl, right? Um, that was one of the lines. Have you ever lied to your mother? Of course not. <laughs> well, I, I did tell her I was the bank president, but uh, I will be someday, so that's not really a lie, is it? <laughs> what did you do? I told her I could bowl. Well, of course you can bowl. You're a Bundy. A failed Bundy. She's counting on me, and I'm going to let her down. Well, how about this? I have to believe that somewhere in your chromosomes, there lies a bowler. We got six days. Let's you and I go to lanes and practice. You pay. You know, he's a Bundy. <laughs> right? Um, it's like, especially Steve says, it's like, you're a Bundy. It's like, I'm sure there's a bowler that's in you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Steve, it's, and then uh, the... Uh, the mom, who is from uh, just the 10 of us, she says, well, it's like, now that you've touched paws, right? <laughs> like, I think I smell, it's like, I smell a ringer, right? The husband says, I smell a ringer because uh, <laughs> it's like, I, I don't think this guy's a Bundy. So Steve, like, you know, lets out a very weak burp. And he says, yep, my mistake is a Bundy. <laughs> so I thought it would have been funny, like, you know, for something like a callback like that, right? You know, like to have like uh, maybe some... Uh, uh, yeah, either a burp or maybe some flatulence, right? I think that would have been fun, <laughs> you know, to say it's like, hey, he's a, he's a real Bundy. Yes. <laughs> because then, like, you know, David Faustino has to play, like, this very pathetic bowler, right? I mean, like, the way he's bowling seems very, very pathetic compared to, like, the way he was as a kid bowling. Was that uh, – what was the name of that episode? Alley of the Alley Dolls. Of the Dolls. Yeah, when, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Mr. Rhodes' <laughs> tutoring has not um, held up at all. I mean, how does Bud throw the ball – Backwards at high speed. <laughs> Incoming. Right. You see, that's the good thing about being a Bundy. Even though the chips may be down and things look bad, every time we... Incoming! <laughs> God, you stink! <laughs> that basically defies all physics and logic and is completely cartoonish. I mean, not there's a problem with that, but um, that's how bad Bud's bowling is now. Yes, I think that's indicative of where the show is now. We talk, we, you know, we often talk about how it's a cartoon; it's very farcical, and this just this just so proves it. And the thing is, but you see, that's that's the whole point I made. You know, when I had my little uh, diatribe on Puggy, right? <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. It's like, I mean, if you're going to mention Puggy Weaver, like, why don't you? I mean, like, really tie it back. I mean, like, in other words, they could have come up with some other name. It could have been the John Smith. You know, for example, yeah. or something, right? I mean, come up with something. But if you're gonna dig up a name that had been used in the past, at least give some continuity to it, right? And the fact that they're in a bowling alley, even with a character like Bud, you know, it's like, okay, show us some continuity, you know, some form of it. I I don't know, like exactly like what what that would look like, but that that's one of the problems I have with this episode. But 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 I I love the fact that they they reference Puggy. Yeah, and, and they even call it Jim's Bolorama. I mean, that's a callback as well. So they can remember that, and they can remember who Puggy is uh, to an extent. But, yeah, they've completely forgotten that Bud has been taught how to bowl well. Um, maybe, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. Maybe they rewatched Peggy Turns 300, but not Alley of the Dolls. So that could be a theory. Maybe they actually bothered to rewatch one of them, but not the other. Yeah, that could be a thing. Yeah, good explanation. Yeah, there's got to be some logic behind it, you hope. Ah, uh, oh, nice. And then we'll let... So, uh, 
So I'll let Leslie, Leslie Baum still there, and now he's trolling out with the best ever bowling shoes. Look, Bundy, I like you. So I took the liberty of securing you a pair of these. Why, those are Air Earl Anthony 5000s. <laughs> the finest bowling shoes made. Put them on. Don't do it, Al. It's four million dollars. Let the games begin. Air Earl Anthony 5000s. With his the initials finest on bowling them. shoes made. Yeah. Wonder how much they cost. Oh, that costs a pretty penny. That costs an arm and a leg and then some. So, uh, a little bit about uh, Earl Anthony. Uh, Earl Anthony, born on the 27th of April, 1938, and who passed away on the 14th of August, 2001, he was a left-handed American professional bowler who amassed records of 43 titles and six Player of the Year awards on the Professional Bowlers Association PBA Tour. Over two decades, his career title count was listed as 41. It was amended to 43 in 2008 when the PBA chose to retroactively award PBA titles for ABC Masters Championships, if won by a member at the time. He was widely created along with Dick Webber for having increased bowling's popularity in, in the United States and, by extension, probably places like Australia too, um, considering we often um, follow it culturally in that regard. Uh, he was the first ever bowler to win, earn over 100 grand in a season back in 75 and to reach a million dollars in lifetime PBA earnings, and that was by 1982. Ten professional major titles, six PBA national championships, two Firestone Tournament of Champions titles, and two ABC, or now USBC, Masters titles. Second most of all time, tied to Pete Webber, two behind Jason Belmont. Never brash, never flashy, in a crew cut, and plastic frame, Marshwood-style eyewear, which he abandoned for more modern frames later on, and he was often nicknamed Square Earl by his fellow pro bowlers. So, nice reference to the um, one of the greatest bowlers who was still alive at the time this was recorded. Yeah. Um, so, I, I suppose, with the reference to the shoes, he, he was what you, you'd call the Michael Jordan of the bowling world, right? That's right. I can't say I've heard of him before this episode, <laughs> but I'm just wondering if... Um, <laughs> You know, someone like Alex may have heard of him before, but <laughs> he's never crossed my path before or since, unfortunately. Well, uh, well, I mean, like, you know, if, if you're from, uh, you know, I guess some part of the world where there's no basketball, I would say most people have heard of Michael Jordan. Right? Yes. <laughs> but uh, I think when it comes to Earl Anthony, I mean, he, like, uh, I'm an American. I have no idea who the hell he is. <laughs> so I guess that goes to show you, uh, you know, the, the contrast there. Yes, yes. Oh, so, so, like, someone, someone on the writing staff, or someone out there, clearly knows who he is. Uh, it's interesting; he's left-handed. Yes, uh, but bear in mind, uh, I'm sure the writers and married children would either be into these sports or actually do the research about these sports to make sure they have the reference to the right people. That's my theory. Right, and this is the days before the internet. Exactly. So you have to go by TV, encyclopedias, word of mouth, radio, other things. With the whole left-handed thing, uh, so yeah, we already mentioned that elbows right, balls right-handed. Where, but while Griff is a true southpaw. Yeah, everyone's a, a righty except Griff, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, nice little bowling montage. Uh, with a uh, uh, another song by the legendary Queen playing. This time we will rock you. Uh, and I swear, Mary the Children helped make me a bit better at bowling. Don't, I'm nowhere near as good as Al, but I'm still far better than Bud. 
Hmm, maybe if you've got a song that we will rock you, that might help you along. It's time for no man to take a little break in the jiggly room. I'm the DJ and I'm gonna play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry With Children. to mention these Queen songs where you get two of them in the same episode I know they're two songs that are often paired together in airplay or concerts or whatever but it's We Are The Champions a couple of times and We Will Rock You in this montage and I bring it up because the first time I saw this episode on video from possibly England um, those, ep- those songs were dubbed with replacement soundalikes and it was very obvious what the songs were meant to be. The Champions one mentioned Champions. Um, it was just a slightly different tune. And then in the montage, they had a song that had sort of the same, you know, stomp, clap rhythm. A little bit, not the same rhythm, but it just said, I think the lyrics were, We came to win, let's rock. <laughs> and yeah, and I thought, this sounds weird, this must be replaced. And then I saw, when it came on TV, when it was brought onto cable TV here, and that episode aired, again, the same thing happened. So it's first time on cable TV in Australia, it had the same replacement songs. And then the DVDs came out, and that's when I heard for the first time the actual Queen songs. So I can confirm it's on the Sony release, or at least on the Dutch version, because I didn't buy the American version in case of any edits, and the Dutch release actually came out first, and I was assured that that was actually uncut, because American Sony releases had a lot of issues with syndicated versions of episodes making it to DVDs and other shenanigans. shenanigans. So instead, uh, aside from the theme music, the Married Children theme music, Love and Marriage being replaced, the Queen songs were actually intact. And uh, Matt, I think you confirmed for me that the Mill, the Mill Creek release DVDs also had the themes, the Queen songs in place. And I also, that's <laughs> how anal I am, but in the, um, I, I got a version, an uncut version of this episode from Israel, of all places, from my friend in Israel. And that had the Queen songs intact, and he hadn't heard it any other way. And so he was amazed that the Queen songs were, uh, uh, in some versions, these, this episode did, does not have the Queen songs. So I'm wondering if anybody is out there who catches this episode on TV, let me know if you hear a different song, or whether they've saved so much money with um, cutting Love and Marriage, they can now afford to put the Queen songs back in, because Queen songs, they're, they're ubiquitous now, so... Maybe they're a bit cheaper, but yeah. So now, on the DVD releases, we do get the Queen songs. I would love it if anyone has heard these sound-alike versions that I spoke of. So if you have, I'm sure there's somebody on YouTube who might let me know. But 
yes. Yeah, so when I first saw this, it had these crappy replacement songs, and I thought this sounds really odd. Oh, they must have replaced it. And then, yeah, I got a surprise when it was actually the genuine songs. Yeah, well, you know, I would say with the the movie uh, that came out uh, recently with uh, on Freddie Mercury, <laughs> I would say that you know Queen's value has probably gone up vis-a-vis Frank Sinatra's. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And um, so nowadays, it would be interesting if they still have the songs. But yeah, I mean, I love Queen and um, Bohemian Rhapsody, the film, and just. Uh, I mean, Queen, they're a little bit... Brian May and Roger Taylor, they're a little bit of whores with their music now. So they sort of... They've, they, they they sell it to everyone and you, and you hear it everywhere. And um, Queen, incidentally, with Adam Lambert, that was the last tour, the last concert I saw before uh, the coronavirus hit. So to see them live right before COVID was... It was an amazing concert. But all they do now is tour and they don't release new music really they just tour with their old songs and and sell them to and make movies about freddie mercury and and things like that i mean all the power to them but come on they must have enough money by now hey they could just get the money trade trade rolling and i just wanted to mention as you know anna and possibly luigi uh this is partly the reason why john deacon retired because well he thought queen with, without freddie mercury is not queen i'm retiring um because, let's face it, he'd probably get enough money from royalties of Another One Bites the Dust and You're My Best Friend alone to ha- live for the rest of his life comfortably. Oh, yeah. So money's not an issue for any of them. No, they must get bored. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the show show as well with um, Adam Lambert, and I'm so glad you got to uh, see them, because I, I can imagine that would have been pretty good. It was amazing. Adam Lambert is um, pretty awesome, and it's very good that he's not trying to replace Freddie. It's he is his own person, but uh, if you're going to get someone to sing Freddie's songs, it's going to be someone like him. And I actually prefer his version of "Who Wants to Live Forever" over um, Freddie's. I mean, um, there's a ver- live version out there that Adam sings with the guys, which is outstanding. He did it as a a tribute after I think it was after the Florida nightclub the gay nightclub shooting and it's an amazing performance nice uh, high praise as well I'm sure Freddie would approve I think he would yeah what you need is a you know a gay front man with a powerful voice <laughs> yep so yeah that's my little whinge but thankfully um, at least two of the DVDs have the proper queen music on them th- thank heavens uh, yeah so uh Oh, so he gets in the last frame. Can Bud do it? Okay. Oh, no. Uh, no, I'm no bowling expert. I hardly, can, I hardly claim to know the ins and outs of the games, but even I know a 6-7-10 split when I see one. Now, son, listen to me very carefully. Last frame. We're down by nine. You have two shots to knock all ten pins down, and we win. Can you do it, son? Dad, I'm a little rusty. I don't... Piece of cake! <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Okay, bud. Okay, whatever you do, don't leave a split. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen now. So what's, what's more difficult, a 2-4-10 split or a 6-7-10 split? Or are they equally difficult? Okay, just picture them in my mind, because um, a 2 and a 4 are a further away from the 10, a 6 is right next to the 10, and the seven's the other end. So, uh, and not being a bowling expert, I'd say, gun to my head, uh, the 2-4-10 could be a bit more difficult, because you have to knock the 2 and the 4 in the direction of the 10 and over as well. Okay. 
Yeah, because we I th- I think in both episodes we do see both shots. I'm just wondering if I should pull up the episode. And obviously <laughs> the six, seven, ten, you have to do a similar thing because obviously the six is next to the ten, but the seven is the other way. So you have to do the same thing at the six and the ten and knock them over towards the seven. Honey. <laughs> <laughs> A 2-4-10 split. You gotta pick all them up and ball a strike if you wanna break my record. Yes, he left the 6 7 10. He'll never be able to pick up the 6 7 10. We won. We're resurrected. <laughs> so that's Bud's first go. So Bud goes for a second go to potentially win or lose the whole match. But Al caves, says goodbye to his money, and puts on the Earl Anthony's. Bye bye, check. Leslie takes the light with sinister grin and all ripping it up because al decided yeah four million dollars is nice but i want the puggy with a cut stop Daddy's got a new pair of I was, I was with Peg then, you know, when she looked crushed that the check was ripped up. Oh, oh Al. Yeah. I, I mean, when you can figure out how many Puggy Weaver cups you can buy with $4 million, I mean, it seems, <laughs> it seems a little imbalanced there. Yes. $4 million can buy many Puggy Weaver cups. <laughs> yes, Homer Simpson. Yes, it can. <laughs> but yeah, I take, Explain the, how. I, take the money, I take the money myself, actually, because... Uh, Oh, hey, if I got that much money, I wouldn't complain. Uh, pay off my mortgage, treat myself to a few nice things, put some in the bank. Yeah, I take, I take that. Uh, but anyway, so Al chose to win the tournament rather than win the money. So, okay, we finally see what the Puggy River Cup looks like. Just before we do, um, you know when Al says to Bud um, about his li- Little League tryouts? Yeah. And what does he say? Uh, remember what I said to you, um, that you did your best, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, that was a crock. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm ashamed of you now. As a, 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 I'm ashamed of you then, as and it remains so to this day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that because I think Ed O'Neill himself he mentioned that in I think it was the reunion episode, uh, special in 2003. Yeah, I forgot to check that before we got on, but um, yeah, Ed O'Neill himself actually called back to that line that he speaks to Bud. It might actually be one of the extras on the on the season two or three DVDs, one of the outtakes. And it's like, oh, I'm ashamed of you then and remain so to this day. And he quoted it exactly right. So he remembers this stuff. And this is not bad for a guy with ADD, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's done very well. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, our, uh, Ed O'Neill has ADHD. Um, for those unaware, that's um, what his wife revealed to us in, in the live chat a few months ago. 
Well, just makes him even more of a legend in uh, my eyes. To well, because ob- I mean, I know a bit about ADHD, and um, a lot of people require medic medication to um, well, uh, concentrate on uh, say work and what what not what not. Uh, so uh, yeah, well done for overcoming your uh, challenges, uh, Mister o- Mister O'Neill. That's all I'll say. So. Uh, Al is finally pre- they're finally presented with the Puggy Weaver trophy, which is pathetically micro sized. I would have easily gone with a four million dollars. Look, Peggy the Puggy. <laughs> Can you feel the excitement? No, Al. As usual, when you're excited, I feel nothing. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's the four million, isn't it? Why'd you do it, Al? Why did you snuff out any hope at all for a better life? Well, it's a guy thing, Peg. I couldn't let a couple of bucks come between me and my friends. They wouldn't talk to me anymore, and then i just have you. <laughs> yeah, and I tell you, like, I, I'm, I'm insulted to the memory of Puggy Weaver for that cup <laughs> to yeah. be as small as it is. I mean, that is an insult. Yeah, it's a grave insult. How dare I? I mean, to the greatest bowler in, in Jim Bolaranma's history, he deserved a lot more than that. Yeah, he did. Well, maybe the Peggy Bundy cup is a lot bigger. Or, I was going to say something really crass, but maybe there's two cups. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it from Annabelle, not from us, guys. <laughs> Switch. Yeah. But yeah, I I wonder if they if Puggy was one of the people, one of the names they put up and decided to run with, just so they could say, "Look, Peggy the Puggy." Yeah. Well, it does have a nice ring to it, nice bit of alliteration there, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you know what? What I think. What I think is interesting, though. Like, so how, sort of how the episode ends is that you know they talk about how it's like Al would have broken the guy code. Like, mm. in other words, if 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 he hadn't helped his friends out, he's like, well, it's like Peg. It's like if I if I didn't do this, it's like I have nobody except for you, right? So I want, <laughs> it's like I, I want my friends. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then like you know you get like obviously Bob Rooney to come in and reinforce that. It's like hey, like Griff is already already eating all the crust off the pies. it's almost like you know and these guys are in their 40s and they're acting like they're 12 years old so i think you know that's the uh that's the moral of the episode yes yeah indeed indeed uh so peg admits that life couldn't be sadly pathetically better and yeah al did it for the guys oh yeah and the the the, the crustless pies happen to be at the winner's ball. Hey, Al, hurry up. The winner's ball is starting. Oh, and Griff has already eaten the crust off all the pies. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Could life be better? Sadly, pathetically, no. <laughs> so I guess um, that could be some consolation for the incredibly um, crummy trophy. Yeah, we had a Champions Plays at the end, and, uh, well, that's the end of this episode of the second last episode of Season 9. Yeah, Alan Pegg walk off arm in arm, and I noticed they even walk the same steps. <laughs> yeah, so, um, nice, nice ending there, uh...
No Ma'am will be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. So, all right, Luigi, uh, how many millions of dollars are you putting into your lawsuit for this episode? <laughs> <laughs> So, I was going to sue for $3 million. Yeah. But I gave it, and I'm suing, I'm going to add an extra half a million dollars. Not because I'm greedy, but because it was, it was funny. It was a funny episode. However, you know, I, uh, again, you know, I, I spoke about, you know, the, the memory of Puggy Weaver. You know, this character. I mean, who I think, you know, the writers for this show should have done a little bit more homework on him. I mean, they honored the memory of Puggy Weaver. But I felt like, you know, if for a fan like myself, like they could have done more. Like, you know, it would have been nice maybe to have a picture of Puggy with maybe like a wreath. Yeah. Around him, right? <laughs> like, you know, a floral display or something more. And, and again, I would have tied it back to the continuity of season four because we've seen Puggy Weaver. I mean, I don't, I don't think that there's an excuse yeah, that. you know, um, again, sort of tying up. It's like, well, he moved out of the neighborhood. Like, what happened to him? You know, I mean, other than just like almost like retroconning it, saying like, you know, like Al had some respect for him. I mean, he hated the guy. You know, so uh, but otherwise, I mean, you know, I take that out. Uh, I think the premise was good. The uh, I think sh- shining a spotlight on insurance fraud. Uh, I thought that was, you know, a, a good way of like, taking a jab at what happens a lot in the United States. Again, maybe not as common in the rest of the world. Uh, it had its moments. It was silly, uh, but definitely not a home run type of episode. Uh, not Definitely not a five. Um, and I really would struggle to give it a four. So I, the most I'll give it is a three and a half. Well, thank, thank you for that, uh, Luigi. Thank, thank you for that. Uh, all right. Uh... Annabelle, uh, how many millions of dollars are you putting in your lawsuit for this episode? <laughs> uh, much like Luigi, I started out at one amount and went up another half. So I think I'm going to be generous and sue for four million dollars, much like Al's lawsuit in this episode. Ooh. And just because I sort of think, what's stopping me from giving it a five? Well, we're reaching the stage in Married with Children where it's getting, uh, you know, as Chris refers to it as the third act of the show. And we're getting to that stage where the show is very cartoonish, a bit farcical, as we've said. So I think by default, an episode is going to really struggle to get a five from here on out. And we've seen a couple of fives in the first half of this season. But now that we're in the second half of season nine, in fact, we're almost at the end. And uh, I'm sad to say that the show is 
has peaked and it's going to start to go down now. But there's still good episodes to come. But I think season 10 is going to be very interesting. Because um, season 9 on, on the whole I actually really like. And I like this episode too. And I think the main reason is it's a sports themed episode which I really enjoyed. And that's not to say I hate all sports-themed episodes. Some of them are good, some of them are not so good. But I think the bowling episodes on Meredith Children actually work very well. Whether or not it's the most, the fa- or like more than one family member other than Al is involved, um, or it's just because um, it's maybe it's more interesting a sport and it's not, it's not just like all, um, it's not full testosterone-driven. Um, in regards to this episode, there's an actual plot where um, <laughs> some guys will move into the house and make sure Al's afraid of shoes. I mean, that's a good good premise. And even though I knew the episode title or a reference to Shoeless Al would be used at some point, um, it's sort of mixing baseball and, and bowling, but that's just a, a, a just a, a reference to the title. But um, yeah, again, it's, uh, I think it's there's a lot of great jokes in this episode. It's well written. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, we've laughed a lot today, um, talking about all the references to this ep- in this episode and to things happened in the past. I'm grateful for the continuity for Puggy Weaver, but again, they didn't follow it all the way through. So it's like they give us and they take us away. So. <clears throat> A little from column A, a little from column B. So I'm going to be kind and give it a four. I mean, there's there are bits that I really, really like. I mean, um, directed by Marcy, well, Amanda Burst, but Marcy is even in the episode, albeit very fleetingly at the beginning. Kelly herself is barely in the episode as well. Again, with Marcy, she's just at the beginning. And Kelly is sporting a, a new hair accessory. And... I, that stood out to me because, A, Kelly never wears her hair up or wears anything in her hair unless it's some sort of fancy dress. Um, the only time she's actually worn her hair up, I think, is in the Christmas um, It's a Wonderful Life parody. Um, <clears throat> or when she's dressed up somehow. So she's wearing this green hair clip, which is just basically to keep the hair out of her eyes because her hair's at an awkward length. Um, very and, short. Yeah, very, yes. very short by this point. Uh, that's just a random... Um, note everything else that's been discussed in the episode a lot of very 90s references always fun it sort of takes me back to that time so yes I'm waffling but yeah I I was super four million dollars because like I said it's a sports episode that I actually enjoyed thank you Annabelle thank you and before we get into my rating yes I can confirm that uh, Kelly's hair is in a ponytail in the sequence where Al looks at his alternate family when he he wishes he'd never been born and they're all really nice and um, rich so, yes, I can confirm that for you, Annabelle. Uh, yeah, so my, I personally am going to sue for, like Luigi, three and a half million dollars for this episode. Uh, I enjoyed it, yes, and I uh, thought it was funny, yes. Uh, but for me, uh, the, the story wasn't just, just wasn't as strong for the others. So it was a pretty standard episode in terms of, uh, you know, it's not a real standout. It's not a real stinker. It's just um, a pretty standard episode in terms of its strength. Uh, I did enjoy the story, and I did enjoy the whole Leslie being a massive troll in the family. I, I liked um, how the cup is a tiny little thing at the end. Uh, but we're just getting to the point of the show, as we've mentioned many times before, where uh, the gag is becoming recycled and th- things are starting to run out of steam a little bit. It's becoming apparent here. Uh, 
I'll, obviously not the big... I, I like bowling. I'm not the world's biggest fan of bowling, so some of the references aren't really catered um, to my uh, alley. And uh, I know we do give credit for the... For, actually remembering Puggy Weaver from f five seasons back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, not too much more else to add to what you, both of you said. Uh, but, yeah, so, enjoyable episode, uh, but ha hardly a standout, in my opinion. Uh, but, yeah, I'll happily sue three and a half million dollars for, for this episode. Interesting, I gave it the highest rating. <laughs> I always like um, I always like to hear where people help people get people's rationales and ratings because we all, we all enjoy different things that's what I love about this podcast we all, we all enjoy different things in the show and the show out of all of, our, all of us indeed yes indeed indeed uh, and that's what makes it fun exactly yeah so uh, Merida Children fans uh, don't despair you still got one more episode of season 9 goodness ahead of you uh, yeah so don't forget to tune in next week for season 9 episode 26 the undergraduate. Uh, Kelly gets a secret admirer. Turns out to be a wealthy spoiled 12-year-old boy who blackmails her into accompanying him to his prom at elementary school. So, some at the same time next week, you'll be hearing that episode um, on the on the Merry Children podcast. Uh, dare I say it? One of the um, best TV podcasts out there. No, no bias at all. And it'll be reviewed by our legendary Stephen and Tyler. And yeah, and we want to hear some more uh, from you guys out in on our Facebook page. Yeah, so if any of you want to do a tribute to Puggy Weaver, or maybe comment on our title card where we do a little tribute to him as well, you know, please let us know. Yes, all feedback is welcome. Or um, yeah, if you want to say something about an episode, uh, send it in. We'll pop it in the show. Uh, yeah, so, and also, um, I've had been on the show for two seasons now. I hope you've enjoyed, uh, not, well, not just Team Australia's contributions, but all three teams' contributions. So, uh, I hope you're still enjoying the show, and I look forward to being part of seasons 10 and 11. Uh, but, uh, so, bye-bye from Australia for now. Uh, make sure you don't run into any drop bears, stray kangaroos, or wild spin effects, or any of, of other Australia's other um, hazards, and... Uh, Stay sane and, uh, well, Bundy! Still a long way to 256, Bundy. Not for your wife, Puggy. <laughs> 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 <laughs>